Welcome to Mornings with Mike. Public Safety Today. Grab a coffee and sign up to receive your call-in information. Be a part of the show. For more information at any time, please visit www.tapsd.org. Now, let's get started with your host, Mike Pazesny. Hello, folks. This is Mike. I'm back with Public Safety Today, a public affairs presentation of the American Public Safety Training Institute. We're talking about hostage negotiations, specifically as they apply to crisis intervention strategies. And we're using the book by the same name, which was written by Richard K. James, as our training text. We just got through talking about the alarm stage as it relates to the stages and dynamics of a hostage situation, and now we're moving to the crisis stage, the second stage in the process. The crisis stage marks the beginning of reason for the hostage takers. Uh, There's still a lot of unpredictability and danger about what it is that they're trying to do as they consolidate their position, and if we try to establish negotiation with them during this crisis stage, uh, one of the first things that we will probably get are outrageous demands and all kinds of emotional diatribes by the hostage holders because they're still in a high and aggravated emotional state. Uh, they fear assault by the authorities. You know, the first thing running through their mind is that uh, there's going to be a breach. Um, as a result of that, they may move hostages to a more secure area. Uh, they may get the hostages involved and cooperating with them and making sure that the area that they're in is more secure. The hostage taker is at center stage. They're getting all the attention. They're also tasked with decision-making. And this happens basically for two reasons. First, the act of making constant decisions in a stressful situation is theirs. And what this does for you is the fatiguing and the wearing of them down may open the door for you to be able to negotiate something which is beneficial for all concerned. Secondly, the, the HT's need for an audience gives him or her a chance to put in put themselves into the limelight and to focus attention on them uh, and not the hostages. So you knowing that in advance, know to focus on the hostage taker and not the hostages. Because for the hostages, the crisis stage is the most critical. The, uh, The crisis stage sets the tone for the remainder of the situation that they have to deal with. Hostage captor interaction at the crisis stage can either enhance or reduce their chances for survival. Although denial by hostages may still be in place as a defense mechanism as they're looking around and everything seems like they're in a movie, the decision that they make right then and there to face reality and to engage in as normal behavior as they can to provide some emotional relief and some mental escape is theirs to make. Hostages who are in positions of responsibility, maybe they're the manager on duty or something, have to be very careful not to intimidate their captors because in doing so, they're interfering with the power and control that the captors are trying to exercise. If they try, if they make those captors feel inferior, they may see defiance as the hostages attempt to humiliate them. You know, verbal humiliation will precipitate violence. Fear is also increased by unpredictable outbursts of violence and an inconsistent enforcement of numerous trivial demands and petty rules by the hostage taker may be seen as confrontational by that manager that is a hostage. And if they try to confront the hostage taker, then they will have problems as well. Too many times 
there are situations where hostages have been taken and somebody decides that they're going to take matters into their own hands and, uh, and try to talk that hostage taker down. Violence is not the only way the hostage taker can gain control over a hostage, though. It, it's a complicated scenario that people who are not trained to handle will invariably complicate. The, the granting of small indulgences uh, may undermine the victim's psychological resistance between the, the chemistry between the HT and the victims uh, much more effectively than deprivation and fear. And depending on the mental mindset of the HT, they may ma intentionally manipulate those victims because they understand and know that. They may have been somebody who has been manipulating person for a long time, has already subscribed to those dynamics, and understands that those dynamics that you have that are essentially the same as they are between a, uh, a pimp and his prostitutes uh, works for them as well in this kind of scenario. And if they can induce terror, then they can help to destroy the victim's sense of autonomy. So deprivations of food and sleep and personal hygiene and privacy, th these are very common practices on the part of HTs. And, and these, are, these are all deprivation tactics that are understood and employed by domestic violence batterers and by child abusers. So we're dealing with a person who may have those same kinds of mindsets. In the crisis stage, the hostages may start to experience isolation, claustrophobia, maybe a loss of a sense of time. You know, uh, a sense of time is, is very, very important, and this is a lot of times when the hostage takers will take things like watches away from the victims so that the victims can't tell what time it is. They'll, they'll lose track of time. That's one more way for the hostage taker to be able to exercise control over their victims. All right? The next stage is accommodation. The accommodation stage is the longest stage, and it's the quietest stage. Constantly assessing the mental status of the hostage taker clarifies his or her personality and their typology for the crisis interventionists. For the hostage, the accommodation stage is usually marked by that time just dragging and dragging on. There's a lot of boredom. Uh, then there might be some excitement. Then there's boredom. Then there's a lot of excitement. So these ups and downs of emotions uh, may are probably going to induce fatigue, both in the hostages and in the HTs. Uh, with increased control by their hostage takers, the hostages will suffer from a constriction of initiative and planning because the hostage taker will continue to tighten that noose and tighten that noose. The hostage, the victim, no longer thinks of how to escape in the accommodation stage, mentally, they have shifted over to just how to stay alive. They can't believe that it's taken this long. You know, five seconds seems like five minutes. They've lost the time perspective, so everything seems to be taking forever. And the longer that things seem to take forever, the less likely they are to believe that they're ever going to be rescued. The more it... Um, tends to uh, force upon them the idea that that hostage taker is winning, that they are actually in charge. It reinforces their impression that the HT is the person who's actually in charge. And so escaping is something that isn't going to work because in their mind, you know, they've already been a hostage for 36 hours when in, re in reality it may have been 10. Uh, time is dragging. So it's been reinforced in their mind mentally that they're not going to escape. They've switched over to survival mode. The longer that they're in captivity, 
the more that constriction becomes habitual for these folks. Surviving as a hostage then calls for dignified passivity. It calls for a non-aggressive stance. It calls it calls for being non-hostile. And there it will be a balancing act that they try to perform to not be seen as weak, but then not be seen as being overly aggressive, which then feeds additional stressors and anxiety into the situation. So these traumatized people who are characterized a lot of time as just being passive or helpless are what lend credence to the idea of the Stockholm Syndrome. And and we're not going to be going into the Stockholm Syndrome here other than to uh, talk about the fact that there are three basic elements that constitute the Stockholm Syndrome, right? Number one, the hostages generate positive feelings toward the hostage taker. They begin to identify with why the hostage taker is doing his, his or her thing. The hostages generate negative feelings toward the police and the authorities. You know, well, I'd be out of here by now if those if those stupid police would just uh, do what it is that this guy's asking for. What what's the big deal with giving him a car so that he can drive away? You know, why am I being stuck in here like this? And then the third thing is, the hostage takers will generate positive feelings toward the hostages because maybe they they get to know something about Susie Cream Cheese and all of a sudden you know they kind of like her or she goes and she makes some coffee and as a result of that they kind of feel good about her because you know they could really use a cup of coffee right now and so they start to they start to get some mixed feelings uh in favor of the hostages that they have the hostages pick up on the chemistry which is developing and there's obviously is externally displaced anger toward the police because they're the ones who are, are are making everything last so darn long that everybody doesn't want to have to go through. So whether that victim is part of a religious cult, uh, a, a child who's a victim of, of domestic violence, abuse, whether they're a political terrorist hostage or whatever the deal is, the potential for traumatic bonding such as we see in the Stockholm Syndrome are all very, very similar. And it, it is just an automatic, unconscious, emotional response to the trauma of being taken hostage. And, and it just, it, it's just something that happens and that should be expected to. The next stage is the resolution stage. The resolution stage, the hostage takers have become fatigued. Maybe it's been hours long. Maybe it's been days long. Maybe their mental health, maybe it or not. They had real high expectations about um, you know what it was that they were doing as HTs. But these high expectations now have become um, neutralized as they have found that they just don't have much in the way of any kind of bargaining chips. So whether there's a positive or negative resolution to the situation depends on the ability of the negotiator to skillfully bring closure to that situation. And skillfully bringing closure to the situation means that all these crisis intervention skills have been used and that we are sensitive to understanding the difference between the behavior of a hostage taker who's planning to surrender and one who's planning to commit suicide, uh, having very specific behavioral cues. If the HT gives any clues at all during the final stage, then that crisis negotiator needs to be prepared to move immediately into a suicide prevention mode if those are the kinds of clues that they're giving. Whatever the type of clues it is that, they, the, that the HT is providing, However long and, and arduous the incident remains, the negotiator has to stay professional and take a dignified approach to the perpetrator's surrender. 
everybody's on edge. Everybody is, you know, has got a, a trigger finger ready to go. Uh, but if a surrender is going to be made, the surrender has to be made with everything being done completely right so there's no miscommunication and so nobody gets killed or injured. And that's the resolution stage to finish things up. Now, there are, so, there are several different intervention strategies that can be used in these kinds of situations. Now that we've talked about, you know, what are the police mentalities, what are the victim mentalities, what are the different stages during a hostage negotiation process, what is the organizational chart of the police enforcement unit that's probably responded to it, and the incident command systems which are being used, let's now take a look at some of the intervention strategies uh, that are a part of the hostage negotiation process. Assessing the motives and the emotional status of that HT are very important uh, because people's lives obviously are on the line, right? Negotiators have to be competent in active listening and relationship skills because that HT cannot be tested or evaluated. You can't see them. You don't know how they're dressed necessarily. You don't know how they carry themselves. You don't know that much about them. So almost everything you're going to be getting, at least initially, during that first hour of the situation where the crisis emotion level is at its highest, is just based on your listening skills and what it is that you're picking up. As the intelligence starts to come in and on who's involved in there as hostages as well as HTs, then you can go ahead and mo uh, uh, hone your understanding of who you're dealing with and to change your communication and modify your procedures accordingly. But at least initially, uh, you'll have to still follow that kind of six-step process to figure out what's going on. Throughout the negotiations, basic listening and responding skills are therefore critical to the crisis situation that you have in front of you. And like any other crisis situation, you have to define the problem. That's always the first thing that you do. Very clear problem definition is critical to learning why it is the hostage taker is in there. So if you use those active listening skills, you clarify, you paraphrase, you restate, you summarize, you use open-ended questions, um, you know, those things are important in letting that hostage taker do what? Vent. And that's one of the things that most of these hostages are going to want to do is to vent. The process of allowing that person to ventilate their feelings allows you then to assess the emotional state and the mental condition of the HT. So the focus is on the person who wants and needs to be the center of attention, the HT, not the hostages. The HT is encouraged to tell his or her story as much as they want to. And the negotiator uses owning statements, I statements of self-disclosure, immediacy, those kinds of things to reinforce and to build a bond between him or herself and the HT. So in all hostage situations, the initial operating mode between the HT and the negotiator is one of collaboration, not one of subjugation. The negotiator appears to act as kind of a bargaining agent between the hostage taker and the authorities. The hostage taker has to see the negotiator outside of the authorities as a separate trained professional who is trying to help them. Although the hostages themselves may want you know, a, a breach of the uh, HT's uh, perimeter and for them to be pulled out, it's a, and, and even though they may be angry because they're not getting the immediate police response that they kind of envision happening where, you know, these, these, these guys are going to come in on, on horses like knights and, and blow everybody away, uh, it's crucial to stretch the time out as long as necessary, wear the hostage taker down to a point of fatigue, and then be able to resolve the situation without anybody getting hurt. 
So the standard refrain of that negotiator then is going to be something to the effect of, you know, I'm concerned about your problems. I want to let you know that I'm trying to take all the time that's necessary to help you out, to understand what your concerns are, and to try to do everything possible to provide for you what it is that you really need. Uh, that way, the HT vents for as long as they need to, but they understand that there is the potential for some positive outcome at the very end. And as a result of that, it focuses on them and not on the hostages, takes some of their attention off the fact that they need to do something to the hostages and uh, helps to facilitate the fact that those hostages then get released without uh, injury or death. Assessing identity issues then for the negotiator is critical. And those identity issues come in two different forms, personal and social. Personal identity is based on the individual's perception of his or her own attributes. Social identity consists of the characteristics that are attached to whoever it is that they think they belong to, what kind of group they subscribe to. So you may have a suicidal individual who's barricaded in a house with his sister as a hostage, and he's just lost his girlfriend, and he's just lost his job, and you know he wants to be able to save face somehow. So, you know, bringing him out as though he's the bad guy is not going to be something which is going to help relieve the situation in some kind of an honorable way, in which case then you're probably going to just aggravate the situation and cause other problems. As when we were talking about the different stages of hostage taking, as those alarm and crisis stages pass and the accommodation stage develops, then your negotiation strategy can change as well. Action responses, such as asking closed questions, confronting them, interpreting, giving them information, maybe becoming more instructional, are then used during that accommodation stage to ensure greater safety, establish a support system, and generate a plan for the resolution of the event. That's one of the reasons why the accommodation stage drags out as much as it does. The alarm stage is when they basically go in there and do what they have to do in order to become an HT. The crisis stage is still an elevated emotional stage as resources are brought online to be able to deal with them. The accommodation stage is where both camps are staring at each other, wondering what the next move is going to be. The chessboard has been set up. Somebody has to decide to make the next move and how they're going to make it. So this is where now things have calmed down a little bit. You've established a rapport with them, and you can start exercising some instructional capacity to extract a commitment from the hostage taker about what's going to happen. The resolution stage then allows the negotiator to move from a collaborative uh, operating mode to a more directive operating mode and action techniques that are directive statements that are designed to elicit commitment and move the hostage taker toward giving up can be used by you but have to allow him or her to appear in control and to save face and if you use these kinds of techniques then you have a much greater opportunity to, um, to be able to uh, be successful in the resolution of the case. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about scene containment, gathering information, stabilizing the situation, these, uh, these different action techniques and these different things that you can be doing during the resolution process. So don't go away. We'll be right back. You are listening to the American Public Safety Training Institute. 
may have a degree, but do you have what it takes? Online and field training available now from Tapsty. Get the skills from the best trainers in America. Find out how at www.tapsty.org. Get your foot in the door by earning your certificate now. <laughs> 